0: Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts. Can you please help support this vital ministry? Discerning Hearts is a 100% listener-supported Catholic apostolate. Now through the end of August, please prayerfully consider making a sacrificial gift to help us raise $30,000 to fund truly life-changing Catholic programming and prayer. The financial contributions of listeners like you enables us to continue this important ministry. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Your donations are fully tax-deductible. Again, between now and the end of August, please visit discerninghearts.com to make your donation. Thank you, and God bless you, from all of us at Discerning Hearts. Discerninghearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lulis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of conversations with Dr. Willis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Anthony.
1: It's great to be with you, Chris.
0: I am so grateful for your care and concern for all of us out there who are trying to really learn from the great master of prayer, Teresa of Avila, particularly when it comes to this sixth mansion, which is fantastic. Filled with so much for us to learn. It's incredible, isn't it?
1: Uh, It is. It's an especially rich part of her work. And it's a privilege to go through this with you. It seems, although I'm not traveling as much as I did before COVID, even on the limited travels I have now, I, I run into people or receive emails from people who've been tending to this series that you've put together, Chris, and have been blessed by it. You know, about 500 years after she wrote this, That we should still be blessed by this wisdom speaks to the depth and the contribution that this is to the the church's patrimony prayer you and discerning hearts have been so generous in making this available to us and and kind of patient with me going through this i'm glad to know that it's a blessing uh, for those who have received it so far and i hope it continues to bless them This is a text you can go to over and over and over again for the rest of your life and always see something new.
0: It really is a remarkable work in that it guides us through so many different aspects of the spiritual journey. And yet, Teresa even in what she will give us, tells us there's so much more out there that she can't even begin to describe.
1: This is true. We're in the seventh chapter of the sixth mansion and we've gotten into the highest levels of union right now. Uh, The last book on transforming union, the seventh dwelling place, she says that there's really no division between the sixth and seventh dwelling places uh, that, you know, one kind of rolls into the other. And so we're here in this kind of threshold rolling into the highest levels of union. In the seventh chapter, what's kind of remarkable is she's going to talk to us about a very basic form of prayer, and she's going to reaffirm it, even for those who are very, very advanced in their life of prayer. She's going to tell them how important it is to use their reason and use their imagination in prayer as often as they are able to. This particular chapter then is immensely important for making sure that we keep the right kind of conduct in prayer and we don't think that we've matured past the basics. and the Christian life, the most basic prayer, the, the most humble cry of the heart, it can express the loftiest and highest moment of union because when Jesus was on the cross, his last wordless prayer was a cry to the Father.
0: Is it wrong for me to experience in reading this chapter, Anthony, Teresa, you know, okay, let's use her imagination. I mean, she's walking along the road with you and she'll turn and kind of hold up the finger, you know, as she's speaking to you, you know, almost saying, but be humble, you know, be contrite, do not get self-pumped up. You're still a great danger, even at this state, for those who may feel they have attained it, of collapsing under the weight of their own pride.
1: That's true. And so, yeah, that image of her holding up the fingers <laughs> is very good, you know, kind of like, well, one more point, you know. Uh, remember in chapter six, she talked about Uh, she had returned to the image of the the butterfly Mm -hmm. and her reason for returning to that image of the butterfly was that uh, the soul is taking flights now it's subject to different kinds of of rapture where it goes completely outside itself and it's all suspended and so it, it attains these kind of psychic states that are very lofty it is easy to presume when you begin this kind of prayer that now you don't need to go back to earlier forms of prayer that were more humble. And it's, it's simply not the way the Lord works. Progress in the spiritual life and progress of prayer isn't measured by the attainment of psychic states. There are a lot of psychic states that you'll experience and go through. But ultimately, it's not the attainment of a psychic state. But instead, it's the attainment of love that is the measure of a soul. And she holds this rule so firm that she will continue to insist on it even in the highest levels of union
0: there's such a, a blessing in her teachings to us too where she is always referring to the example of saints you know i'm I'm thinking of that fifth section in this particular chapter where she recalls and anchors her teachings on saint paul and the Magdalene, as she calls her.
1: Mm, yes, that's right. She sees what she's advising us is in concert with, you know, the whole patrimony that she knows and, and has received herself. And, and so she doesn't really see herself as offering something new that nobody's ever said before. She sees herself as passing on what she herself received. And again, her references to uh the magdalene and so forth she's kind of bearing out well one of the things that happens that's the curious thing is you attain the psychic states the the question that she wants us to come back to and that the saint paul and the magdalene are so aware of is: you've attained this lofty state where is jesus where is his sacred humanity it's his sacred humanity that we're able to obtain through the power of our reason and by faith see divinity. Uh, and so she wants us to keep rooted in the humble humanity of Jesus, Jesus who did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but rather emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Our Christian prayer has that same pattern. These reflections uh, must have been a regular martyrdom for uh, St. Peter and for the Magdalene because as their love was so great and they received so many favors and had learned to understand the greatness and majesty of God, they would find them terribly hard to bear and must have been moved with the deepest emotion. And what, what she's getting at there, as you move forward in your love of God, if your psychic state, uh, whatever it might be, has moved you, to a deeper love of God, you're grateful for the wonderful gift of the prayer. I mean, those kinds of experiences are wonderful things, but the two things that happen is your love for God grows. You become aware of his greatness on the one hand, the immensity of his goodness, and you're overwhelmed by it. And, and this is part of what kind of inclines you to these very lofty states as you see the greatness of the Lord and it expands your soul into a kind of greatness of state that is beyond itself. And at the same time that that happens, you are completely aware of your unworthiness. It's a paradox. You are aware of your unworthiness and you're aware of the greatness of the Lord at the same time. uh, Mary Magdalene lived in that paradox, and it's the same paradox that Teresa of Avila is inviting us to go into as she unfolds this chapter. Uh, she kind of begins this whole chapter with a reflection of, you know, somebody's attained these high rapturous states and so forth where they've gone so high and so far, and maybe now they're at a stage where they don't need to weep for their sins anymore or where fear of the Lord is something that's not there at all. Uh, And she says, this would be a great mistake. For the more they receive from God, the greater grows the sorrow for sin. I believe myself that this will never leave us until we reach that place where nothing can cause us affliction. And that means, first and foremost, heaven. Uh, When we're in heaven, there's no more affliction. In this life, there are moments that anticipate that when we're in transforming union there's something analogous to this state, but really throughout this life, there are afflictions that we will undergo. And so weeping for our sins, being aware of what we've done in light of the greatness of God's love is something that remains important for us. It's like the byproduct or the the more you see the immensity of God's mercy, the more you see the tragedy of sin if in your own life right now you the tragedy of sin doesn't really move you then you really need to question you know where you're at with the mercy of god mercy is love in the face of misery and so to understand how much god loves us we need to kind of accept the misery of our hearts and the absence of love that ought to be there that's not there the Lord shows you that, he's not trying to beat you up or shame you or make you feel bad about who you are. He only shows you it so that you can see how much deeper and more immense his mercy is. And that that moves you with gratitude, but it also moves you with tear because the tragedy is there. Blessed are the sorrowing, said Jesus. The sorrowing, they see the love that ought to be there and is not there. These are the ones who will be comforted. And again, St. Teresa of Avila, she puts us right here. She's putting us right into the gospel. Though these manifestations of his greatness, which he communicates to the soul, gains a much deeper knowledge of the greatness of God, it is aghast to have been so bold. It weeps for its lack of reverence. Its foolish mistakes in the past seem to it to have been so gross that they cannot stop grieving when it remembers that it forsook so great a majesty for things so base. And anyway, so that's kind of the description of what's going on here, and it's what she's trying to illustrate with St. Paul, St. Mary Magdalene, is that the more you know the love of God, the more you realize the tragedy of sin, the more you accept the tragedy of sin by faith, the more you realize how immense God's mercy is.
0: Uh, Anthony, can there be a danger sometimes that maybe in today's world, and maybe it was true back in Teresa's time, I'm not sure, but there are those who would say, well, don't look at your sinfulness too deep or that you don't want to be too harsh. I mean, I've heard people uh, give commentary on Teresa that in almost a dismissive way to say, well, she was speaking of the a time in the 1500s medieval era where this kind of vernacular was being spoken, and she didn't really mean to look at yourself so harshly.
1: Mm. Have you heard that as well? Well, sure. This requires just a little bit of catechesis, and she provided some of that in order to explore the observation. Did she really mean, do we find in Teresa the teaching that you shouldn't look at your sin too deeply? And Mm -hmm. the answer is no. But she does talk about a kind of sorrowing that is not healthy. And so in the last chapter, chapter six, she talked about those who weep too much over their, their sins and not out of love for the Lord, but because they're, they're depressed. They have a bad humor, she says. They're suffering from depression. When you weep out of depression, it doesn't strengthen your spirit. It just makes your depression worse. It weakens you. And so she's not talking about indulging in self-pity or in being indulgent with melancholy. There is a kind of an unhealthy attitude that we can have where we're poor me, poor me, poor me all the time. It's not fastened in the love of God. It's not a realization of what we've done in light of God's love for us and seeing how much greater God's love is than the things we've done wrong it's rather simply indulging and in beating ourselves up because we're bad people and we're doing it because we have a psychological humor called melancholy or depression or something like that we have a weakness of our nature where instead of standing against we're letting it carry us away we're letting our sorrows overcome us and she no way ever believes that you should let your sorrow overcome you the healthy sorrow that you have in prayer when you weep over your sin actually sees your sin even more deeply. Uh, you're not using your sin to indulge in self-pity or beat yourself up or uh, so that you can enjoy your melancholy more. You are being brought to an awareness of your sin that allows you to see the immensity of God's love. And it's the vistas, the greatness of God's love is that fills your soul that your will begins to conform to God's will. This conforming union begins to happen in your heart in a very powerful way. And so my answer to that, it's not so much the awareness of sin, but the kind of awareness you have. If your awareness is a self-indulgent awareness that's rooted in depression and melancholy, that's never going to help you find God. If it's rooted in a kind of shame where you're beating yourself up because you just don't see yourself in light of God's goodness, then that will never help you become a saint. You are loved by God, and this is a point she's made earlier in her work. She's presuming that you remember it right now. God thought of you before the foundation of the world, and the very thought of you moved him to love you so much he decided to bring you into existence outside his thought to give you your own existence beyond him so that he could behold you for who you are in yourself with your own freedom. And why did he do that? Because the thought of you is beautiful and good and delights his heart. And when you uh, live in accord with that great purpose for which you were created to delight the heart of God through your beauty, through being who you are, Well, then sin is always a betrayal of that. It's a betrayal of that love. And what's amazing is the immensity of God's love. He issues you into existence out of sheer love. He sees your betrayal. He knows it's coming before you do it. And he continues to love you anyway, holding you into existence right now. And loves you so much that he wants to overcome that betrayal, that tragedy, with a happy ending, with a love that will last forever and ever. If we don't see the tragedy, we can't see the happy ending. Only somebody who looks at the tragedy with the love of God can ever truly understand it. And only somebody totally caught up in the love of God who sees him present to them in their miseries, in the places where he seems most absent, only that person fully is able to rejoice, be jubilant, over how much God loves them. And all of this was in chapter 6. In chapter 6, we talked about jubilation. Here she's talking about the proper place of holy fear and, and sorrow in a soul that is jubilant over the love of God. That no matter how high we go, we're, we stay humble about our brokenness because it's in our brokenness and weakness that the power of God reaches its perfection. And that his mercy is revealed not only for ourselves but for others and she wants us to live in that difficult paradox again she believes mary magdalene lived in this paradox too all we need to do is trust in him
0: we'll return to beginning to pray with dr anthony lillis in just a moment did you know that discerning hearts has a free app And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
1: St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying,
0: Let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.
1: O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us.
0: That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beginning to pray with Doctor Anthony Lullis. Anthony, when we go to section eight of this particular chapter, chapter seven, she talks about. Oh, I'll just I'll read it. Some souls imagine they cannot meditate even on the passion, still less on the most blessed Virgin or on the saints, the memory of whose lives greatly benefits and strengthens us. So what's going on inside that soul that feels they can't meditate on the passion of the Christ or on the saints? Who's experiencing that?
1: This section, she's engaging in a kind of discussion that's going on at the time. There were people who believed that at a certain stage in your life of prayer, you needed to completely abandon meditation and only engage in contemplation, there are problems with that. In contemplation in particular, what they meant was a simple beholding of the Lord without engaging your understanding or your memory. And they said that they believed that, in other words, that the passion of the Lord, his humanity, his passion, was like a threshold you needed to pass through so that you could get to a higher level of union And at a certain stage, you can leave the thought of Jesus's humanity behind and just be aware of Jesus's divinity. And and in fact, some people have interpreted St. John of the Cross that way. And insofar as they have, they're wrong. One of the schools of spirituality in America right now that I, I have problems with because they tend towards this. Not everybody is, but who practices it is. But it's a tendency in that movement and an intentional tendency would be those who engage in centering prayer, the contemplative outreach. Some of their materials kind of suggest that you close down your mind and you enter into this kind of place of peace with your prayer word where you don't engage your imagination or your reason anymore in the truths of the faith and that this is a higher state of prayer than the kind of prayer that is you might say and fastened to jesus's suffering humanity that somehow you've surpassed that you've gone to a higher thing and some whether or not this is consistent with what centering prayer is it's some who are involved with it kind of again see the suffering humanity of jesus is like this stage you pass through on your way to a more perfect union well teresa Vavillet completely rejects that thesis She says that uh, no matter how high you go, we always must return as often as possible to the thought of Jesus's sacred humanity, that he's one with us. And that this means that our humanity isn't dissolved into some impersonal absolute which is beyond uh, beyond him. Our humanity is is in relationship to his humanity and prayer helps our humanity be in relationship to his suffering humanity. So as St. Paul says, so that the mystery of what Jesus accomplished on the cross is renewed in us and we make up in our bodies what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his body, the church. She doesn't go that far, but John of the Cross definitely gets there in Ascent to Mount Carmel, uh, book two, when he talks about the conformity that we ought to have with Christ crucified. John of the Cross does not teach that you ever leave the thought of Jesus' crucifixion and death for us behind. It's through the crucifixion and death that we know the power of the resurrection. It's in Jesus' crucifixion and death that Jesus accomplishes his greatest work. Teresa of Avila is trying to protect that, that that isn't like a, again, a stage you go through, but it, it's it's actually, no matter how high you go, the living reality of, of your soul. Now, she does say, while you're thinking about our Lord and his sacred humanity and all the different things that happened in the gospel and you're moving your imagination from point to point and you're seeing the scenes with, and you're thinking about what Jesus said and what he did and you're putting that all together, she says, sometimes as you do that, All of a sudden, you're overcome with an awareness of the greatness of what Jesus has done, what's being communicated in the gospel, what your imagination touched upon. And it's like everything's suspended because all you want to do is repay love for love. You see the greatness of love. And in that moment, it's really hard for you to keep on going to meditation. In fact, it would be harmful for you. The purpose of the meditation was to lead you to that moment of love. And so let uh, that moment wash through you. Kind of own it, possess it, let it be. But she also teaches that that's going to pass. And when it does, you need to return to intentionally with your will, choosing to think about Jesus and his sacred humanity and what he did and suffered for us to give thanks to God for the price he paid to redeem us. And so for her, she doesn't really view the moments where it's difficult to pray because you're overcome by the love of God as this thing that is better than meditation. She sees meditation and that moment of contemplation as kind of mutually going together. It's like a dance uh, that happens. John the Cross also teaches there does come moments where a soul that's in the state a state of grace uh, that has lived a faithful life and has been engaged in prayer is otherwise the person's healthy psychologically healthy all of a sudden the ability to use your intellect and your imagination in prayer the same way you were before it's like you're not able to all you want to do is sit in silence before the wonder of who jesus is and what he's done for you you're silenced by it well i i think that's very similar to what Teresa of Avila says, and and John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila both say that, you know, what God accomplishes in that powerlessness of soul, when your own activities, as it were, suspended by God, is far more than we can accomplish by our own efforts. But both John and Teresa also say that no matter how far you go in that kind of prayer, when you are silenced by the love of God, as it were, no matter how far you go, you will need to return to the very humble effort of using your imagination and your reason again. And for reasons that are known to Jesus and to him alone, uh, we're not pure angels, as Teresa of Avila says, that our humanity is uh, overcome with some titanic effort and we just leave it behind. No, we'll always, you know, our... uh, Natural power of reason and our imagination, we're going to have to intentionally decide to use in prayer. Even when God begins to lead us into these moments where we're overcome by what he's done for us so much, our minds just can't work anymore. They're, as it were, resting in the immensity of God's love. Uh, And so she uses the terms like prayer of quiet and so forth to explain this kind of experience as it unfolds and what begins with a prayer and quiet continues now in this kind of conforming union your will is resting in god's will Uh, but that doesn't preclude the what she's saying in this chapter it'd be a mistake to stop thinking about jesus and what he's done for us we always should be mindful of it and remember it even if our understanding has a hard time getting around it and our imagination is unable to go any further because it's it's so touched by what's being remembered. Uh, still, though, it's important for us to make the effort to remember it. And what we don't want to do, the final part you know, that she's kind of saying is, some people, and this can inc- occur with people who engage in centering prayer and, and other techniques in prayer, is persevere in this technique of having your mind empty no matter what, no matter how arid it is, God's going to do something good. Well, she's saying, well, no, when things are arid and your love for God is dried up, you're able to use your intellect, you're able to use your memory, you're able to use your imagination, use your imagination, your memory, your intellect to turn your heart towards what the Father has revealed to us through the humanity of Christ so that the spark of God's love, the fire of his love can burn in you again. Uh, Don't let that fire go out because you are negligent or too passive about what god's doing don't let the fire go out because you're so reliant on a kind of apophatic uh, technique where you know you're trying to force some kind of spiritualist experience we don't rely on techniques we don't rely on experiences we rely on faith alone and our faith is communicated to us is strengthened by the humanity of the Word made flesh.
0: Amen. We'll continue our conversation on this chapter in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you'll find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lowe.